You're listening to TFM. Want to join in the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners' discussion group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field, and we'll look forward to seeing you there. Well, hello and welcome to 2022 as we are starting this recording. I am just one of your hosts here, Matthew, rushing in the 602 Club, which is our general geek show here on the TFM Network. And I am very excited to be kicking off the year with my good friend and fellow co-host over at Aggressive Negotiations, the wonderful John Mills. John, how are you doing today? I am uh, burning every piece of art that I have ever created so that if somebody like Thrawn shows up, they cannot figure out how to beat me. The only way to escape Thrawn is to never have any art of any kind. This is true. Um, and probably to wear like sackcloth and ashes, you know, so that like you can't tell from your clothing <laughs> what you, you know, feel or think or any of those things, um, which is going to be really sad because you have a ton of great artwork around your office. So, you know, it, it's what's very interesting, though, is that you just spurred a thought because, you know, Thrawn learns so much from art. And that is actually a very good extrapolation. Fashion is an extension of art. So Thrawn could probably just look at somebody walk in with like, you know, a couple of people with you know certain types of clothing and be like, ah, I got it. I, I can figure this out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I hmm. love that we're going to be talking about uh, probably Timothy Zahn's final Thrawn book for quite a while, because depending on uh, where they take the character, uh, he doesn't really have a lot of room to maneuver right now. And uh, this is wrapping up the Thrawn Ascendancy trilogy. Uh, with lesser evil but before we get there as we head into the new year i thought that it would be really fun john to start off the year by giving something away to people who follow us on twitter and so do tell we would love you to follow us on twitter if you're not following us over at the 602 club please do and i'm going to be giving away a brand new copy of the original Thrawn book, Heir to the Empire, it's from the Essential Legends collection, and it has this brand new, beautiful cover. I posted it on Twitter, so you can check it out. So go over to Twitter and follow us. Make sure you're following us. You want to make sure that you're doing that by the 25th here of January, because that's when we'll be doing the drawing for the winner. Uh, so again, follow us there, and you could win that book as our appreciation for you following us. You can also find us wherever you get your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, all of those places. If you happen to be on Apple Podcasts, please give us a star rating review. And if you're a Spotify listener, please rate the show. You can rate the show now. You can rate podcasts with star ratings. And we really appreciate a star rating there. It helps more people find the show. And so please do that. Uh, you can also find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash trackfm. There's a listeners-only discussion group there called the Babel Conference. You can join as well. We're online at trek.fm where you can see all of the different shows we're doing. And, of course, a huge thank you to our associate producers through Patreon who make sure that the 602 Club as well as the entire network keep coming to you year in and year out. Uh, Ken Tripp, Davis Grayson, Ryan Millett, and Daniel Noah – Thank you guys for supporting the network. And as we start 2022, if you like what we do here on Trek FM, we ask you to go over to patreon.com slash Trek FM and see how you can become part of the team and make sure all of these great shows keep coming to you each and every week. So, John, as we dive into Lesser Evil, one of the things about this series is that we have continued to, and Zahn has continued to add to the chiss. And one of the big things that I thought was really interesting is this in this book is that we finally gave the history of why the chiss homeworld has ended up a frozen wasteland. And to me, it was fascinating that if he finally opened this door and gave us the the rationale and the reason for this happening. 
Yeah. And the, the interesting thing about it is so many times when you delve into that sort of history, it's a little deflating. It, it never quite lives up to that, that status that you're expecting it to have. But I, I, you know, and I'd love to get your take on this. I thought that this was a subtle enough and clever enough way to explain it that it it both defied your expectations and fit perfectly within the story. There wasn't anything gimmicky about what happened. It was, oh, that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. That that makes complete sense. They're undone by their own, you know, like there there's a, a there's a beautiful poetry to what happens because, you know, it, it's that that whole thing where you have these moments in history, in real history too, where there are these second order consequences and you have to ask, was it worth it? And no matter what, you can understand either side saying, no, it wasn't worth it. Look what happened. And the other side saying, yeah, it was completely worth it because that had to happen. You know, like I thought it was a very interesting sort of uh, line to straddle. Yeah. I mean, I really like that that you say that because I, I found it really interesting how it mirrored the character of Thrawn himself. Um, because what we see in the history of the Chiss Ascendancy is this willingness to do anything it needs to to protect itself and to survive. And that meant that if they needed to use a weapon that was going to ruin the sun of their homeworld system, but it was going to allow the ascendancy to continue, they would do it. And this yeah. goes very much to, I think, the the thing that we truly learn finally about Thrawn. And I think we've kind of known this, but I mean, it's very explicitly stated here. And I love the parallel between who the Chiss have been and, and what their history was. And this this person who is a part of this most recent version of the Chiss Ascendancy. And that they're very similar in the sense that the resolve to protect the Ascendancy at all cost, no matter what the cost, is the same. And to mm -hmm. me, I was I I loved how Zahn, nothing is by mistake here. And I think that's one of the other things that this history kind of uh, re reminded me is that every Thrawn book that he's written in this new canon has all been interconnected and he has been using all of that to, to weave this story. And it was interesting to me because this last part of this history kind of like helped finish the tapestry that he's been creating for the ascendancy itself as well as for the character of Thrawn to finally kind of give us this full representation of who this character is and in all honesty how dangerous the ascendancy is but also how dangerous Thrawn in is and and why he especially when he comes into what they call lesser space why he's a villain because his whole motivation is yeah. to do everything he can to protect his home world which means he doesn't really care about anybody in lesser space, really. Yes, which is fantastic. It gives his character so much shading because that's the thing you and I have really gone back and forth about is Thrawn's been so relatable. He hasn't been a big, negative, evil character throughout this arc. And it's like, how are we going to square that circle when he finally we know where he's headed? He's the great villain. He's the boogeyman. He's the bad guy. We know where he's going but then still at the end, again, it's that that, it, you know, it, it's defying the expectation because you find out what truly makes him horrifying is his amorality, not his immorality, but his amorality. Like somebody like a Vader, I can get my head around and I can Luke figures it, I can appeal to his heart. I, there's some basic humanity in there that I can appeal to some sort of sense of personal and Thrawn has personal tragedy. But Thrawn is willing to put all of that aside. It's simply there. And what, what I wanted to ask you is what really jumped out 
was this fact that first and foremost, the ascendancy, you understand why the myth over time would build where people would be terrified of them because their use of that weapon is like, it's, it's proof. It's like a boxer acting nuts right before a fight. That's going to, other fighters are going to come up and be like, I don't know. They're, they're kind of crazy, but it's a culture without any, it flies in the face of the Star Wars uh, backbone, which is that there is an underlying faith in things, in in you know a higher power or what have you, and the ascendancy really does mirror the Empire in the sense that that has they have no use for it whatsoever. It's simply about achieving a goal, and it's. Mm-hmm. Really interesting. Yeah, a couple of things on, on what you were, were talking about, because I think it is really interesting. You know, I, I think the the interesting thing about Thrawn is that for him, you know, alliances and or allies or any of those things um, are useful to the Ascendancy in how they keep the Ascendancy safe. And so, and yeah. we see that again, and, and, and that's kind of what plays out you know, with him as being a villain and because he sees the empire, uh, especially by the end of the book as being something that's is interesting to look at, um, as either a instructive agent for, uh, progression for the ascendancy and, or, uh, instruction on what not to do for the ascendancy. Right. Uh, because he sees them being somewhat parallel and, and with the Republic previously, uh, parallel to to where the ascendancy is now, and so how how is this all going to play out? But at the same time, like like you said, um, you know, with the the myth themselves uh, as one of the nine ruling families, one you can see why they've continued to be a nine ruling family for so many generations uh, of of the Chiss. Um, but what I thought was most interesting is how. Their relationship with the Stibla, who are the only myth family who has actually self-relegated themselves out of the nine ruling families into the 40 because of seeing this need for the protection of these different artifacts and or weapons, which could be ultimately dangerous. And therefore... What was fascinating to see is that there was somebody in in the Chiss ascendancy to which it was not about politics; it was actually about the greater good and the the benefit of the ascendancy itself. And so there's this very yeah. interesting, like I, I, the amazing thing I think about this series for me has been the layer upon layer of philosophical thought that Zahn is laying into the the series, which I just find so refreshing. And it's truly challenging because it's coming at you from so many different angles. Um, And so many different people in the series have their own points of view to which aren't always readily something that you would just immediately dismiss like it mm-hmm. it takes time it takes thought and then it takes the rest of the story playing out and so uh, to me you know again looking at this history finally giving that to us and helping us kind of understand where the chiss have been and again we you know history is all about learning from past mistakes here and it it's you know and and are you going to be doomed to repeat it um and I think the other part of that also to me showed, you know, the the ascendancy itself has really struggled with this idea of this 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 kind of tribalism that they live in with these this family structure. Um and how this uh politics is everything and, and the danger when everything's political, um, everything being so segregated into tribes, it's really easy to then kind of obfuscate the truth when politics is the only lens we see things through. And to me, that was something to which 
that's one of the places where the just haven't necessarily seemed to learn from their history because they keep having to overcome the problems to which this tribalistic nature that they continue to persist in living in um, causes for them. And we see here, Jinxus makes is a huge crux of his plan to dismantle the Chiss and almost succeeds. Mm -hmm. I just found that really fascinating that we were going to dive into the history and that history is going to continue to show us why this continues to be such a chink in their armor. Well, I, I think it's really interesting as well because, you, you know, you mentioned Jinxus and what you have there is somebody exploiting the known weakness of the Chiss and the Chiss being very, they don't care. Well, we've survived attacks before. We'll survive this again. They're, they're not nonchalant about it, but they're still more concerned about their internal politics. And as an extension of that, an external threat is something that they regard as something they can beat, something they face before. And Thrawn remains the real threat to the power brokers, specifically because he's the one that that can transcend those barriers that you're talking about. People remain loyal to Thrawn regardless of their house and or I'm sorry, family. It's not Harry Potter, regardless of their family or, or Game of Thrones. But yes, I get what you're saying. <laughs> right. But but that but that's what's so interesting is it really, really becomes super clear in this book that the reason there are people that hate Thrawn is because they view the way that the world is, is the way it should be. And they don't want anybody messing with that because it's a threat to their power. And Thrawn truly does only care about defending the Ascendancy, and therefore he's dangerous to them because mm -hmm. if more yep. people did what Thrawn did, families wouldn't matter as much anymore. Right. And so that's a fascinating mm -hmm. thing because Jinxus, in a sense, there's this frustration for him that builds through the book for varying reasons, but the overall sense of his arc is that he can't he can't beat the chess so long as Thrawn is alive. <laughs> like Thrawn is the one thing that is, is his mm -hmm. antimatter right. mm -hmm. because, and it's specifically because Thrawn doesn't get involved in the politics. Right. He's the right. one thing that Jinxus yeah. can't solve. For. It's a really, I mean, no, I like what you're saying there because uh, you know, this book is so much about the idea of superior wisdom versus forced enlightenment. And, oh, yes. you know, oh, Thrawn yes. even says to the, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm sorry if I butchered it, but I think you would call them the Kilji. And he says that, you know, superior wisdom never needs to be forced on others. And really what we see yep. here is this, this struggle for the idea of control uh, and, and for the Kilji and even people like Jinxus in many ways, it's this idea that some people are meant to rule. And the rest of the people, the rest of the people in life are just people who basically want to be coddled. They want to be told what to do. They don't want to make their own minds up. They don't want to be responsible for their own actions. They just want to be able to live in comfort and peace. And the biggest question is, mm -hmm. what will people trade for comfort and peace? And in a lot of ways, well, the Chiss themselves are like this as well, because Thras even mentions that, or it's not Thras, it's uh, Thallus, even mentions this idea about how the, the Chiss want order and obedience to protocols. And like you said, the very antithesis of that is Thrawn, because he looks for the superior wisdom in how to handle the situations, and not just trying to handle situations through this prescribed measure that's been given to him. Mm -hmm. And to me, the layers of that throughout the book with all of these different characters was masterful by Zahn. Absolutely masterful. I, I There was no doubt in my mind the aspects of culture that the Kilji were commenting on most, most, very clearly, uh, I would say this idea of influencer culture, where the ship is, I they they're just tuned in to whatever the one thing that they're paying attention to, 
tells them to do. And once they lose that, they've lost their, they don't know what to do with themselves because they are not used to independent thought. But to your point with the chess, there's a very specific moment that I found very chilling where uh, Thalius was trying, was threatening to take the uh, secret of the Skywalker program public. And, uh, you know, the, the response is, eh, yeah, people will be outraged for a little bit, then they'll move on. What do I care? You, you, you like there's this it, it's this really condescending, but very, uh, very cynical Godfather esque sort of response of you, you think I'm supposed to be afraid of you telling everybody about mm-hmm. this. People don't really yep. care. They care about, you know, to your point about living a good life. And so long as I can deliver that to them, eh, whatever, they'll move on. Yep. And it's such a, I mean, it's such a gut punch of a moment. It is, again, I reference the Godfather on purpose because it's like that scene in the first Godfather movie where Kay says, and everybody references this scene, but it truly is, oh, Michael, don't be so naive. Presidents and senators don't have people killed. Oh, now, Kay. Who's being nice? Yeah. And you realize in that moment when it ha- when the first time you ever watch that scene, you there's a little part of your brain that ticks off and you go, Oh, I'm sad now. He's Michael's mm-hmm. right. You know, yep. and it's like such a it, it like that that was such an amazing discussion because he just built to that point and he didn't give what he didn't give the thrill of somebody being afraid and running with their tail between their legs. He gave a very believable reaction, which was, Oh, that's, that's what you got. Yeah. Okay. Whatever. I could deal with that. And, and you just, mm-hmm. uh, it, it just sets the tone for what in an insurmount, like I, I know I'm rambling, but I think really what Thrawn does, cause you talk about the layers and uh, what Thrawn, I think really what Zahn does through the book, when you're talking about the layers is the fact that he continually takes you to a point where you are used to the story, taking a certain next step all the way up to the weapon you expect Thrawn to be using at the end. And then he just tweaks it a little bit, not a lot, just a tiny bit. And the best star Wars has always been the thing where you have that. Oh, Oh, it's not, 180 degrees different Mm -hmm. i was right kind of but i just needed to look a little bit over to the Mm -hmm. left here oh okay i get it does yeah Yeah. exactly Uh, just a little bit to the left um i like that yeah no i i heartily agree with you because i and i i think that Thalius having that, I think it's Thurifan. She's having that conversation with uh, who's become yeah, the, Thurfian, the yeah. new leader of the myth. Um, and forgive me that I can't remember every single detail of how the myth families. Are, I think it's he's the patriarch at this point. Um, yeah, lot, lot, a lot of names yeah. and positions to track so, on here. Yeah, which is another great thing about the book in the sense that we've talked about this a million times already throughout his books is how he's been really building this into this most I think the most fully fledged race that we know in Star Wars. I mean, just hands down. Oh yeah. Um, but oh yeah, that conversation, like you said, it doesn't go the way you think because, like you said, it's very reminiscent of things that we have seen even in the news in the last like few years. Somebody has a massive scandal come out. Do they step down? Do they they cower? No, they just ride it out and they just stay belligerent and people just like forget about it, you know. And yes. and we see you know politicians in in our from both sides of the aisle just getting away with like quote unquote murder, you know. Um, Do we really want to put quotes around that word? Mm, I'll let you decide. Yes. We'll d- mm. we'll let people decide that, but. Absolutely. And so, like you said, this is why Thrawn is such a threat. And this is the thing that uh, uh, kind of like the meat of of what I saw as Thrawn's superpower is that Thrawn looks at the facts as they are. Thrawn has no lens or ideology that he looks through to 
try and figure things out because he wants to be able to see things for what they are and not what he wants them to, him, them to be. And so by not having any pre preconceived notions, he's able to just be able to pick up on things that other people can't because why? He's looking at what I like to call authorial intent, something that used to be really important. Uh, and yeah. Thrawn looks at a piece of art and he's trying to understand what is the creator of this piece of art trying to tell me through its creation. What is this? It would be like, what is this author trying to tell me? What is this director trying to tell me? What is this? You know, he's always looking at what whoever is doing the speaking, whether it's through a piece of art, whether it might be through a play, whether it's through um, a piece of cutlery, you know, what is that creator trying to say through this creation to me? And that's why. Thrawn is able to pick up on all these things because he's not trying to fit anything into any kind of lens or bent. It's just tell me what you're saying and let me let that wash over me. And then he can deduct so much about that artist and the culture that's produced it because he's not trying to read it through any specific lens. He's trying to clear himself of, of all of that. He does, and he can do that. And again, that's that's his superpower. That's why he's basically the Sherlock Holmes of you know the Star Wars universe because he doesn't have anything to bring to it. He lets that creator speak to him. Well, and the context of when they were creating mm -hmm. is important, and the he recognizes that culture is going to affect how an artist speaks and what, what types of stuff they're going to, and especially if they're a successful artist, right. it's going to de depend on things. It goes all the way back to, um, and I, you know, this is like a pseudo conspiracy theory sort of thing. Um, I haven't done a lot of reading on it, but I, I do know that, uh, you know, in, in the fifties and sixties, the CIA actually funded a lot of abstract and contemporary art specifically so it would get out there so that it would befuddle what were perceived as our enemies at the time because they would look at our culture and say this is they're 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 all over the place they're they're energetic and they're free and they're up and they're down and they're like it was an expression of the freedom that that we were trying to advertise as as the good part of the culture and so you know you get back to the power brokers recognizing value in that and so I think it would be very interesting if if Zahn were to come back and write Thrawn for Thrawn to come up against some sort of. And obviously he can't. I, I don't see where the story could could get this in, but have Thrawn befuddled by a more uh, like consumerist society where art is funded in a way just by popular uh, you know, what what basically what could Thrawn tell us about our own mm. American culture right. through time? You know, like I would be very, very interested in that because I think that the the way that Thrawn looks at art is how you can look at historical art. But there are certain periods like if you were to look at the music of, uh, you know, America and Western Europe in a certain time period in the 20th century it all of a sudden defies all logic mm -hmm. how it went. It's like, wait, this came out, this seemingly came out of nowhere and you really have to dig for the roots of it to, to find, you know, we spent decades right. afterward figuring out the roots of it and stuff like that. Um, so that would be, that would be really interesting. But I agree with you that, that it's his superpower, but what's also interesting is his, is his weakness is explored in the sense that, I love the flashbacks with Thras mm -hmm. because Thras is the one that figures out Thrawn's problem. People are misinterpreting him as condescending. Thrawn legitimately doesn't understand why people don't see right. it. He's he's looking at things and he's frustrated because he feels like he's pointing at it and saying, yeah, that right there. And the other person doesn't get it. And it's mm -hmm. he's not judging the other person he legitimately doesn't right. understand why they don't see it 
And that gets misinterpreted. Well, and I like that you bring that up because I think it is something that makes for a really fascinating discussion of who Thrawn is and, and, and why his superpower works and everything. And, and like you said, he's very frustrated that people literally just can't see what's right in front of their face, and, which is so obvious to him. And part of that is, is Thrawn's um, respect of culture, respect of history, and respect of the impact of both of those on each other. And so yeah. his intense study of cultures and their history is what allows him to be able to do this. Again, not because he's trying to understand anything through a specific lens. He's trying to understand that thing for what it is. You know, um, and I think it's so interesting to me because... You know, this idea of really like reading into things that you think something is saying is the total opposite of what Thrawn's doing. He's trying to not read into anything and just have it tell him what it's trying to say. And the reason he can pick up on its true intent is because he spent so much time studying different cultures he's been studying their history Mm -hmm. um and he allows that to impact then the way that he views things and i think you're 100 percent right because that is something that's so interesting about the character and what i loved like when thras is like why are you why are you why are you upset there and thrawn's just like i have to explain this even to you i'm upset because he should they should see it he should see it you know um, it's right in front of his face and he gets so tired of having to explain things he picks up on so easily. He just doesn't come at everything with the, as we talked about earlier, the, the idea that politics is everything. Politics means nothing because politics is so malleable in this thing that is always in flux and always is changing. Thrawn's looking at things that are more immutable about our cultures and about the things that we hold most dear and the things that then actually play out historically and, and the whys of the, and, and it's just, it's so rich and it's so deep. And I, I really want to thank, you know, <laughs> Timothy's on is listening. I just thank him for creating a character that has such actual depth to them. And, you know, that he was willing to kind of explore this through these six books that he's written in the new canon and really dig into why is why is this character the way it is? Um, and so I, I I really appreciate that. And and I think, you know, one of the things that you mentioned Thras, part of Thrawn's history. And we learn this character that we had seen back in Chaos Rising who had died, that he and Thrawn are brothers. Now, not quite the same way that we would consider brothers, but in a very chiss way. But in that, I'm going to point to another <laughs> another franchise, but they're kind of like the chiss Kizwak Haderach. Yes. In the sense that they were recognized as being, putting them together, they were the yin and the yang that was going to be the thing that could truly help the Chiss Ascendancy move into the next generation, basically. Right. Um, and that is why Thrawn and Thrast were both given such leeway. That is why people that recognize this about them let them bend the rules, you know, in ways that others couldn't get away with. And why people still continue to do that for Thrawn, even though Thras has passed. Um, and I, to me, I really appreciated that we, again, we kind of finally dig through all the layers to get to the reason why, one, Thrawn is so important to the Chiss uh, ascendancy and why he's been given so much leeway and where no one else would be given this much leeway. Yeah. And it's, I mean, but again, the secrecy of the Chiss undoes them in that sense, 
specifically because mm-hmm. playing that one close to the chest is why nobody is why uh it, you know and yes i i struggle for the names as well there's so many names and they're they're interesting and they're distinct names rusco Ro- yeah you know who from, I'm talking uh, one about, of the, the uh the commanders of the clar yeah yeah and who just um has you know luck after luck and 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 stuff like that if they communicated thrawn's importance to people then they would understand that Thrawn because is not the political tool that they're presuming him to be. They think that Thrawn is just another political tool and that that is the sort of thing where it's like their own cultural institutions work against them in that sense because Thrawn is so so different and they don't share. Well, we're letting him write his own playbook because his playbook works mm-hmm. and that but that of course it's going to upset other commanders. And other families. Well, wait a minute. I I get taken a task for this. Why can't I get away with it? And that's, you know, that that's interesting in and of itself. But I mean, with this arc, I, I just I it's one of those things where I before we we even approach, you know, the 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 next phase of the conversation, I just have to I, I know we've said this every time we've reviewed one of these books. Thrawn was a great character from the beginning. I was there when he burst onto the scene back in 91 and we all fell in love with him. I, I, I bought the books. I read all the books. I, Thrawn was always the gold standard new villain to go to. It, it, it's sort of like the curse of Khan in Star Trek. Very much so. It was yeah. like, where's my, where's my next Khan? You're never going to get him again. But Thrawn was essentially a gimmick in a sense i i don't mean that in a bad way i mean that he was a very intriguing way to go in a different direction than vader and the emperor and but he was only designed originally to last those three books he's killed at the end uh spoilers at the end of the last command for zon to come back how many authors get this opportunity to take that unique character they did and they thought it was over and come back this many years later and make something this rich? This is literally the Star Wars that so many fans say they want. With no Jedi, no Republic, no Empire. And, uh, you know, as some people like to ask, what makes Star Wars Star Wars? And I can look at this and I can say, well, this is a Star Wars book. What about it makes it Star Wars? Well, you have your battle of good and evil. You have cultural things. You have belief systems. You have, uh, you know, the, the, the clash of the outsider and the insider and all of these sorts of things. It is a quintessential Star Wars tale, but you find out that's because a quintessential Star Wars tale is just a quintessential good fantasy story whether you want to call it sci-fi or not and so i just i just find it so interesting that i mean this is this is one of those things where i am fully confident that zahn knows how lucky he is to come back Mm -hmm. and do this all over again and not just do it as a one-off but as a series as rich as this Mm -hmm. one so, I, you know, sorry, I, I just I, I wanted to make sure I got that out yeah. there because it, it, like th- think about what we're talking about here. Right. We're talking about a fully realized culture. That has been teased out and whole cloth created, mm-hmm. even with the extra stuff that we're getting with the Tuscans and Mandalorian and Book of Boba Fett. That's several people working together mm-hmm. to shape stuff. This is all Zahn's invention. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he has a culture that doesn't just function, but is fascinating and really works when you think about it. Like yes. all the stuff plugs together and functions. Well, I think part of that is that like George Lucas before him, he's been pulling on a lot of different aspects from storytelling, from mythology, you know, from fantasy type literature. 
And he's been using all of these things to be able to create something to which feels somewhat familiar, but at the same time also has this alien quality to it. And I, I think that's the genius of, of what he's he's created. And, and it's many of the ways in which, again, you know, I, I we'll be talking about uh, Boba Fett in the next month as, as that ends. But, you know, that's taken on a life of its own by looking at hallmarks from cinema history um, and using those to tell a Star Wars story inside of it, but making it its own thing. And I think, again, mm-hmm. this is one of the beauties that we've talked about, too, you know, with the Clone Wars itself, is that Clone Wars realized, and George knew, and he teased it out with Filoni's help there, you can tell any story you want in the Star Wars universe and give it a Star Wars spin so pick whatever genre you want to do. Pick whatever you know movie inspiration you want to do. Godzilla movie? Yep, we got that. You want to do a noir? We got that. I mean, just pull it in, and we can make it Star Wars if we do it right. And yeah, I think you're mm-hmm. absolutely right. You know, Thrawn here in this story and kind of giving us this aspect of like pulling from so many different sources, whether it's uh, a Dune feel or you know there being almost like a Game of Thrones feel we've talked about or this almost mob mentality family feel with these families and you know all of these different inspirations I'm sure for Zahn that have been poured into this and then kind of put back out into creating the Chiss is phenomenal Um, and you know I thought one of the things that we did learn uh, before we kind of get off of this was fascinating and and we've gotten a, a Sense that this was the case, but that we finally learned that Thrawn's sister was a Skywalker and that Mm -hmm. she had been, you know, basically stolen from the family. And I loved how that played into all of the things we learn about the Skywalking program, which are devastating, terrifying, and yet at the same time, completely understandable as to why it works the way it does because without it the chiss would be more vulnerable i mean i know it's no accident that zahn offered what seems to be his own commentary on how the jedi operate and thrawn winds up being somebody who would have been related to a jedi who would have sat there and it would have been a traumatic event and in a sense, it runs parallel in the way where I, I can think a little bit more in terms of the fact that Thrawn, a big thing is made about the fact that he doesn't seem to be open emotionally. And we made different, uh, you know, theorizations of why and stuff like that in the past. But he had a tr- he traumatically lost a family member when he was young so of course he's going to be shut down emotionally of course he's not going to be like a big open loving person he's going to be somebody who's experienced loss at such a formative age that it 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 you sort of shut that stuff down when you have a tragic Mm -hmm. event yep and you don't even intend to it just happens and all of us who have been through a traumatic thing that just is a thing that happens And I I thought it was really, really interesting, but more so for the fact that you find that the Chiss approached the Jedi the same way that, uh, you know, I guess the Jedi Order or whoever in the past approached it, which was, oh, you're special. You Mm -hmm. need to be out of society so that you don't have connections. But then Cherie has the best. Uh, she she's a superstar among sky skywalkers and getting that history i you know do you uh, i i want to get your take on this you get the sense that thrawn is shepherding her because there's something that internally he's recognizing right about himself like he's it's almost like he's reaching out to his sister mm-hmm. yeah in the past and it's like that's a sudden wow moment yep. where you're like, oh my gosh, it makes yep. sense. And I, I I love where you're going with this because I think 
the thing again that undercuts the chiss is their need for secrecy. Like what we see, and and I think you do a great job of juxtaposing that with how the Jedi handle things, right? They come to families. They talk to them. They let them know their child has these abilities. And if if you would like, we will take that child and we will train them as a Jedi to help the galaxy. They don't force themselves on families. They don't steal the children away. And then they don't steal those children's memories. Yeah. You know, and Oof, so that's that's and a so tough one. I, I think this this there's this absolute difference in the way that things happen. Um, yes, do they train Jedi to not have attachments in the way that would would tie them to any one thing um, in in a way that would be detrimental? Yes. But I mean, when you look at the way that the Chiss handled the Skywalking program, it's detrimental in the sense that, yes, it does rip people away from families. And these Skywalkers who go on most likely do have trauma throughout the rest of their lives because their memories have been faded. And But those memories still have the ability to impact them and come back or, you know, and I thought, you know, all of that was so terrifying. And what was kind of interesting here was the way in which Zahn sets up with Thalius as well as Cherie, as well as the Mags, this idea that they can, this connection that they can have through the great beyond mm-hmm. slash the third site. Um, and that even though Chiss females do sent, tend to lose their mainline connection through the third site as they get older it's not completely gone and again i think there's an interesting crack here in the storytelling to which i would love to see explored is is that something to which like you said with thrawn with sherry nurturing her and kind of giving her more uh to move through and kind of try to understand her powers with the mags is this something where you could see almost like a revolution in the the chist to which we crack open the door for the force itself which is that's what this is to have more of an impact because it's been stunted but maybe if we let it blossom it could become something bigger I think that would be an optimistic way to look at it. I don't think Chiss culture, especially with Thrawn out of the way, is going to go there. And we even have a data point from his time in Rebels where Mm -hmm. he's not terribly open to Force users. He doesn't care for them. He doesn't like them because he can't really understand them because they are so ununderstandable. But but what what makes it even more interesting is I I do want to do a full Rebels rewatch now again, uh, not just because it's a great show, but because especially now when Thrawn comes in, I'm going to be looking for this definitely gives added context to a lot of his scenes and the way he behaves when he encounters certain people. Mm-hmm. And also what his fate winds up being, I think now is a one of the most poetic endings, question mark because of the fact that he winds up trapped in hyperspace with a force user unsure of where he's going when so much of his life was determined by being in hyperspace with somebody who could see through yeah. the force yeah, that's a great point. to determine where they were going. Like that is a real, like all of a sudden Thrawn's ending isn't just, yeah, screw him. And Ezra made a noble sacrifice. It's like, Oh, he's literally in hell. Okay. You know, like it, it really does take a, on a whole new dimension. Absolutely. And I, I mean, I think that's the beauty and just kind of the genius of what Zahn has been doing. With the series and and the way that he's been really interweaving everything with what they've been doing in in canon with Thrawn and what he's been able to do here in his books. And, you know, the the book itself is called The Lesser Evil or Lesser Evil. 
And the idea of the lesser evil was really interesting to me in the way that it was used here. And I liked how Thrawn, when he's talking to Jinxus, he's saying, the reason that these other people are allying with us is they see you as the greater evil and us as the lesser evil. And mm-hmm. Zahn has this wonderful uh, quote at the end of the book about working for everyone who's had to choose the lesser evil and working towards making better choices available, basically, is a paraphrase. And yeah, what's fascinating about that is how true to life it is that so many times in life we are choosing between lesser evils and how frustrating that can be. But at the same time, how important it is for us to be able to rightly make those decisions um, and to have mm-hmm. those choices, right? It actually have choices. I mean, this goes all the way back to this idea of, you know, where the Kilji want to just basically take all choice away from people and, you know, have them follow this enlightened way or what they call enlightened. And, you know, Choosing the lesser evil means that you still have a choice. It hasn't been completely taken Mm -hmm. away from you. And I just really responded to that idea um, in this book. Yeah. I, I, you know, I don't know what I could add to that, (laughs) you know, but, but it really is. um, This is one of the most fully realized and mature science fiction books i've read in a while um and i know it sounds like that's a huge statement but this was a book where it it was heartwarming in a sense because of what you're talking about where it was doing what science fiction is supposed to do which is asking you challenging questions that maybe just maybe you'll take a second to apply to things in your own life and your own world and say, well, let me run this through the philosophical test and see what, what this, what I say to myself when I Mm -hmm. say, okay, what is this like that I can recognize? And it made me sad in a way because of the fact that it reminded me of the unfair expectation I have sometimes with franchise books, which is I want this. I want art. I want challenge. I don't just want plot points. I don't just want tie-ins. I don't just want, there for the sake of there or anything like that. I want this. I want something rich that I can spend time in where afterward I'm going to sit here and have a conversation like this and say, well, do you think he was talking about anything in specific? And, you know, that's not the point of this conversation, but it's something that we can, we, I expect to talk about this book a fair amount uh, with others who've read it. Because it's just one of those things. And that is one of the things, again, that is so interesting is that one of the summation points of the book remains that to get something done that is truly good and worthwhile, you need to ignore your tribe and do the right thing, even if it's going to cost you, even if you're going to risk something. And that is a message that is very Star Wars. I really like that you went there because that whole idea of of doing the right thing, regardless of the cost, and or whether or not you'll get personal glory for it, was something that we see played out in many of the characters uh, in this book, and just as an example, a few of them, Thalius, Rosinda, Aprose, and Thawne, Thrawn himself, 
Um, these are all characters to which um, ask these questions and are and and then become willing to do what they must because they know it's right, even if it will cost them literally everything, even their lives. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think that that's something that's just so important to be reminded of. And the beauty of this is, and something you said way earlier in our conversation, is that Thrawn has this group of followers because he's engendered loyalty from them because they understand that he himself is willing to do what is right regardless of the cost. And because they see that in him and because they know it's not about ego, it's not about politics, it's not about getting ahead, it's about the protection of the Chiss ascendancy at all costs. That's his only MO. People can follow that because he doesn't have a personal agenda other than that. And I think, you know... If there's anything that I kind of really get from this book and one of its most important points I think it's trying to get across to everyone is check your agenda at the door and look at the facts not through your agenda but legitimately through the lens of, okay, what is this thing trying to say to me based on that person's culture, based on that person's understanding of the world based on that person's history and their culture's history. Not what I think their culture's history is, but their actual thought process of what their history is. All of these things. And I just, the, like you said, it's so refreshing to read a science fiction book which is mature, writes for adults without placating <laughs> mm-hmm. to us or just trying to tell us what we want to hear. There's something that's just so refreshing about that. And and it's something that's missed. And I think, you know, it's it is one of the beauties and, and what I think you you kind of mentioned what you think that makes this good Star Wars. And what I think makes this good Star Wars is that it's something that's so entrenched in classic storytelling structure, classic storytelling themes that allows many different people from many different sides to be able to latch on to ideas and see important themes that we can all agree on. And that's what Star Wars has been able to do for so many years. And I think, again, that's what makes this and these Thrawn books such great Star Wars, which, as... We've talked about so many things, um, and and honestly, I do feel like this is kind of a book where we could start to really pick apart, you know, a different thematic elements in, in even more detail, but we'll respect everybody's time, and I want to ask you, John, <laughs> what would you rate Thrawn Ascendancy Lesser Evil? Five stars. Not just because it's Star Wars, but this is legitimately great science fiction the skywalker thing is you know that name is a cute callback i could read this and enjoy this with without knowing anything about anakin skywalker or the jedi or anything like that i could just sit down and read this and say wow that was a that was a great book and it made me think so for that it gets five i don't even hesitate Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I, what about you? I'm right there with you. Uh, I don't know if anybody will be surprised about that, but you know, uh, from the moment I read this the first time, I, I reread it um, here uh, for the recording of this episode, and it continues to be a five star book. And part of that is because it is the culmination of a six part work, and this series is so detailed. That things that he was doing in the first Thrawn books that he was putting out um, have to play in this Thrawn book. And every single book Mm -hmm. has been building on itself to create this final chapter. Not only is this a fantastic Star Wars book, but like you said, this is a great science fiction book and this great science fiction series. And this is one of the longest Star Wars books as well. 
uh, which is yeah, fantastic. Is. I love that they just let Zahn go for it, you know, uh, and create almost a 600-page book, which is unheard of in Star Wars. Um, but this is this is just phenomenal stuff. Um, Zahn should should be so proud of what he's created here. And like you said, he's done something that very few authors get a chance to do in the first place. And very few tie-in writers ever get a chance to do something of this magnitude. And so I, I just, I couldn't be happier um, that this uh, turned out to be what it is. And it is one of ap- my absolute favorite Star Wars books of all time. Like it ranks up there yes. with some of the best of all time, like, you know, the original Heir to the Empire or uh, the episode three novelization. I mean, those are hallmarks. This is as well. So welcome to the Pantheon yes. again, Mr. Zahn. Uh, but John, if uh, <laughs> <Rating> exactly, <champ. laughs> you just take another lap there, buddy. Um, yeah. <laughs> if people wanted to maybe, you know, hear what you might want to recommend to them um, this week, what would your recommendation be for the listeners of the 602 Club? See, you got to do that to me, don't you? You, you know, I forget all of that. I think there's maybe one time in all of history where I've remembered that I'm supposed to have something to recommend. So, boy, howdy. Thanks so much for uh, letting me walk right into that trap. You, you just enjoy doing it's this. It's a trap. <laughs> yeah. You, you just you just enjoy do. doing this I to do. me. So, you know what? Uh, I, I reread it um, recently, um, but I will recommend if, if people want to get a. a, a a real feel for a tastemaker comic book series from many years ago that uh, a young Kessel junkie stumbled across um, that, that I love uh, to this day, very comic book sort of concept. I reread the original four issue limited series run of cloak and dagger, the Marvel comic from the early eighties. And it very much is a product of its time and the art and all of that stuff, which I still love. But boy, I will highly recommend if anybody has never read it. It's great to go back. It's set basically in the same part of New York that Daredevil's in. It is very much about runaways, kids on the streets, the drug problems. It even works in in its first four issue arc, a a storyline that is pulled from the headlines, essentially about uh, somebody poisoning uh, medicine bottles in pharmacies, which is a thing that happened. And yeah, I, I mean, it's, it's really a, um, it's really a, a fun thing to go back and revisit. So yeah, the, the original four issue limited series run of cloak and dagger. There you go. Nice. I pulled that one out of the fire. What about you, Matt? Well, I'm going to recommend, uh, my wife and I have been watching something over on Paramount plus, and it is called 1883. And it is the prequel to Yellowstone. Now, you don't have to have seen Yellowstone to enjoy this series whatsoever. Uh, It's phenomenal. Uh, It's uh, got Sam Elliott, uh, Tim McGraw, his wife Faith Hill is in the show. Uh, Isabel May, who plays their daughter, is phenomenal. This show is so great. I love it. My wife and I are really enjoying watching it, so I highly recommend right now. Uh, 1883. It's in its fourth episode so far as we're recording, uh, and I think they drop every uh, Friday uh, evening. Uh, it's just great. It really is. It's a just there's something about the show, and like Yellowstone, the cinematography in this show is going to make you wish that you were in Texas of all places. Um, just gorgeous. Uh, it's 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 a phenomenal show. I can't say enough about it. So I, I highly recommend that uh, people check it out. Uh, but John, if people want to find you, maybe on you know the social medias because there's still a thing here uh, in 2022. Where can they find you? Uh, well, before I uh, enter the decentralization storm that's coming, you can still find me on Twitter and Letterboxd as Kessel Junkie K E S S E L J U N K I E. I recommend Letterboxd. I have more fun over there, honestly. Uh, and I just use Twitter to uh, post updates about Kessel Coin, and you can which find me I mean it has a on... wonderful exchange rate right now with yeah, uh, it you does. know with all of the the major uh, currencies. So uh, definitely worth checking out. I I think so. I think so. And, and again, again, 
nowhere to go but up. Invest big, kids. And uh, you can actually find me here on the network, uh, here on the 602 Club feed uh, as part of Assembling Avengers and Snyder Cuts, uh, two shows that I love doing uh, and which (laughs) it's going to come to a head pretty soon because it's going to be a really interesting conversation uh, when we get to Civil War, I think. Uh, Anyway, uh, you're also able to hear me over on the Nerd Party Network. Uh, co-host on two shows. Uh, first one being House Lights, where we look at the work of directors by different categorizations and everything like that. That's really a lot of fun. Uh, I co-host that with Tristan Riddell and Darren Moser. And you can find me as co-host of a delightful Star Wars podcast called Aggressive Negotiations, which, of course, uh, I could not do without my esteemed colleague, you, Matt Rushing. Well, I appreciate that. Uh, you can also find me in the Chaos known as social media uh, under the name Matt Rushing 2 uh, I'm all over the social medias there, Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, Vero, all of those places. Uh, you can also find me uh, here on the network doing three shows. One is The Orb, the other is Warp 5, and then Literary Treks. The Orb's about Star Trek Deep Space Nine, Warp 5's about Star Trek Enterprise, and Literary Treks about the books of the comics of Star Trek. And over on the Nerd Party Network, uh, you can find a finished show that I did called Outpost with Drea Kaufman. And we talked about every single chapter of the Harry Potter series, one chapter at a time. But thank you so much for joining us. And may the Force be with you. Thank you.